This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Free FM 89.0. Now we present Big Things Ahead, a Free FM series in which Paul Barlow tackles the big things facing Kirikiriroa Hamilton. The Three Waters reforms, representation, growth, infrastructure, iwi and youth participation in decision making, and climate change. For more episodes of Big Things Ahead, visit freefm.org.nz, Spotify or Apple Podcasts and search for Big Things Ahead. Welcome to Big Things Ahead, a new series here on Free FM with me, Paul Barlow, where we look at some of the big issues facing Kirikiriroa Hamilton that's going to change the shape of the city going forward into the future. In this week's episode, we're looking at how the city looks in the future, which is pretty strange, to be honest. It's very hard to picture 100 years down the line, but we do have some indications as to what some of those changes are going to be. And there's some rules in that coming out from government and central government that will let us know kind of the shape of things to come. So let's start with the basics. Hamilton City at the moment in growth mode. It's one of the fastest growing urban areas in the country, second only to Auckland. We see a population growth of between nine and 10,000 people every year moving into the city. And with changes to areas like Peacocks, as well as rural changes around what can be built in the CBD, as well as governmental changes around three-story habitable buildings in urban areas, there's a lot of change coming to the way that the city grows and how it's going to look going forward. And it's a delicate balancing act for those people now who have to make the decisions about what to do going forward in the future. And unsurprisingly for many, there's been a really big event over the last few years, which has also changed the way that city leaders look at how they plan things going forward. That event, COVID. I sat down with Mayor Paula Southgate and asked her really specifically, what's your vision for the city 30 years from now? And here's how she framed it. In 30 years, I... I've always been about building a better city, not just a bigger city. So we will look different, Paul, because of all those things we've just discussed. There'll be more housing. There'll be different types of transport. We'll have different um, challenges. We've got how do we get on post-COVID at the moment? Because honestly, COVID has changed us for all time, right? We've got climate to adapt to. We've got all of those things happening. But at the end of the day, what we want is what our vision statement is saying. is a city where everyone thrives. That's my vision. So that looks at things like keeping our safe city, keeping an environmentally thriving city with lots of green spaces. And goodness only knows that the green spaces have been our saviour during COVID lockdown, right? Whether yours is the river walk or the um, lake walk or a local park, everybody likes those spaces. We've got to keep our economy thriving. People need to be in education and employment. And I would just like it to be a happy, thriving city, really. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but whatever you do in a city, if the people are not thriving within themselves, then you've got a problem. Then you're just a collection of buildings and infrastructure. But a city is not just infrastructure. A city is people. What do we actually know about Kirikiriroa of the future? There are some things that we can extrapolate now 
going forward. And that includes projections that have come from Statistics New Zealand looking at population growth, birth death rates, a whole bunch of different movement things. It's a huge project to be able to try and work this out. And Statistics New Zealand do point out that these are projections, they're not predictions, there's a difference. Their projections are based on a couple of different models and they pick the mean, the average in the middle. And it's certainly not something that can take into effect any kind of changes out there in the rest of the world. For example, say Australia suddenly blew up and we had a whole bunch of Australian migrants come into the country seeking refuge. Um, that would obviously change the way that population gets distributed around the country. And you can't predict that sort of thing now for 2048. But their projections for 2048 for the Waikato, for, for Kirikiriroa, say that we're going to have a population of around 236,000, which is more than the population of Wellington right now. And it'll be one of four major growth areas around the country. Auckland will be the largest, followed by the Waikato Hamilton, uh, followed by Tauranga and Christchurch. Everyone else is going to see a population decrease. And we're going to see an aging population, which is something that's been on the cards for the last 40 years. Medical advancements mean people live longer, which is pretty much what it boils down to. So we need to make sure that the city is created knowing full well that you're going to have young families as well as an older population that need to use the amenities that are there. And COVID has again helped out with how that sort of planning is going to go ahead. All of those ideas and issues have kind of culminated in one big plan called a 15-minute city. And that's essentially that everything that you need is going to be within 15 minutes of where you live. It means a lot more focus on your central areas around your suburbs. So say Norton, for example, focusing around the shopping mall area and all of your, your services there or Hillcrest, or, or Rotatuna. The design is really to make sure that you can access everything that you need to now, when you need it. And when you've got an aging population, and you've got spread happening on, and you've got 236,000 people to deal with, having those small compartmentalized areas makes it much easier for a younger population, like young families, as well as an older population, to get what they need, while not completely disestablishing the city as a whole, meaning that you can still travel freely to other places to get things that you need or want. A lot of the planning that goes towards something like a 15-minute city is actually already underway. And talking to Waikato Regional Councillor Jennifer Nickel, it becomes really apparent how some of the other things that we've already looked at in the show, like transport, come into play when it goes into planning a 15-minute nodal city, is how they put it. So here's how Jennifer explained it to me. For me, it would be to have a bunch of small villages all throughout the city, basically. So that's kind of the 15-minute city concept, isn't it? And, and so I think it's really important that we have a look at uh, what areas um, are sensible as hubs, um, as the centre of um, such a little village. And so I really respect the um, community centres that we do have running still. We've only got you know, five or six or so. But um, I would imagine that to be more around the 20 to 25, 30 mark. And um, I want them to be incredibly well-funded and providing the, um, what, I, what some people call universal basic services. So those are the um, things that you kind of think is, is a right for anybody to have access to. And I therefore think they should have access to it within 15 minutes of, of getting around. And so... Uh, that would be, you know, having access to to decent fruit and vegetables and and food in general, uh, education, like working space, co-working spaces, kind of thing, and um, 
uh, internet connections. Uh, there's, there's a little list, basically. And obviously within these, you could also have um, really decent public transport infrastructure so that you can basically travel from node to node quite easily. And of course, as technology itself changes the way that we live and work, that's going to adapt outwards into how we communicate, transport and work within the community that we're within. Former Hamilton West MP Tim McIntyre had a fantastic vision for how he'd like to see transport work a little bit further down the line. We're certainly not where we, we, we need to be for this yet, but I just thought it was a fantastic idea and I can't wait to actually see it in action. What will make a difference, but it's still probably a generation away, is when we're all in autonomous vehicles and there'll be e-cars that have no drivers, it's all computerised, we'll all get around much um, more efficiently and of course we won't have congestion in the city because we won't own those cars we will simply have a license to occupy them when we get into them but like getting into a taxi we'll be dropped off at our destination and the car with no driver will turtle off to pick up its next passenger and not very few will need to be parked i think that'll be fantastic it'll be good for emissions reduction it'll be good for safety it'll be good for ease and congestion and efficient movement one of the reasons that transport keeps cropping up when you're trying to work out how the city is going to look in the future is because the city has to be planned around population growth and how those people move, which is a really tricky thing to do. You have to be able to control what your population is doing, where they are, and where they need to be. And it's a really difficult thing to plan that so far in advance when you're looking at nearly adding 100,000 people to the population over the next 30 years. So how do you go about doing that, and what's the aim that you put in place for it? I spoke to Councillor Sarah Thompson about this, and I asked her really specifically, what's your vision for the future of Kirikiriroa Hamilton? Ooh, it's a place where... People can get around easily and safely and we have joyful journeys so we enjoy getting around the city and um, we have, everybody has plenty of choice in terms of how they get around so uh, it's a wonderful place to bike. It's got very frequent public transport. It has big green spaces because we've uh, we've thought ahead and we've invested in those spaces as we've become a, a more compact and dense city. Um, and it has a lot of trees. Our gullies are fully restored uh, and we have bird life within our city um, and, and our streets are lined with trees. Uh, so it's cool. It's creating a microclimate um, and helping uh, to sequester carbon at the same time. Now, Sarah mentioned something really important there, which will also change the way that the city looks in the future, and that's canopies and gullies. The city is really blessed to have a huge range of gully systems in there. And we did speak about that back in the episode on uh, climate change. So there's, there's a fair bit of stuff in there on that. One of the things that people often don't realize is that if you have between 10 and 20% canopy cover within your city, it becomes a much more environmentally friendly location. You bring back natural wildlife, you look at offsetting carbon emissions from within transport, and it creates a safer, healthier space for people to live within. So when I spoke to Jo at Go Eco, she actually brought that up as part of her vision as well for what she would like to see for Kirikiriroa in the future. It's a, it's a snug city that it's compact, yes, and that it's um, vibrant, that it supports healthy environments, that we, we've surpassed the 10% canopy cover and we hit the 20%, that we have fresh, clean waterways that um, 
that flow through and around the city, that the food that the city needs is grown by local small farmers around the city, that we can hear birdsong, that we're a predator-free city um, and that we're a city um, where um, it's easy to get around and, and um, I do like, you know, in White's 20-minute city, but I think that we could go better than that. Um, that public transport is accessible, that it's free, that we have trains and buses and that, um, yeah, we have um, good health. Climate change is in many ways the single biggest factor that goes into, seems to be going into the planning of the future city. And that is really important to remember. But it's also really important to remember two factors that come into play, particularly for the region. First of all, our region is the largest dairy producing region in the country. It is the economic powerhouse of Aotearoa. That's a big deal and climate change is going to have an effect on that. Secondly, because it is the biggest impacting climate change factor within the region, as well as the biggest economic factor within the region, it becomes a really delicate balancing act for politicians to make sure that they're doing the right thing to plan for climate change, but at the same time, they can't go around pissing off one of the largest companies in the world. It's huge. So what does that mean for the region as a whole? And how does a city balance the fact that your biggest polluter is also your biggest economic powerhouse going forward into a future where both of those are at risk? So I asked City Councillor Sarah Thompson again, how do you juggle that balancing act between keeping Fonterra happy and doing what's best for the future of the city? In terms of uh, farming and those kinds of activities, we don't have any direct direct control um, or influence as a as a local authority um, territorial council. So that sits more in the space with government and um, regional councils, but. What I think is that it's really important that we acknowledge the impact of urban areas on climate change. So uh, farming gets a lot of uh, attention, and I think that's that's important and it should, but we should also be able to show to farmers that in urban areas we're also um, uh, playing our part. And... Uh, because of some of the challenges with um, reducing your methane emissions, I think that means we should we have an obligation actually as a metro to be going harder on things like climate uh, transport emissions, which don't have an economic cost of um, in terms of reducing them. It's actually really positive overall with a net benefit for society. So um, I, I guess we have to work within our ambit of control. Um, and I would say that we need to go as hard as possible um, on those things that we can influence as a council. Uh, and, and also in terms of our waterways, which is critical, uh, we need to be putting in better stormwater infrastructure, um, particularly as the city becomes more dense uh, and you have less permeable uh, ground uh, because um, 
that has a big impact on our waterways, along with transport. A lot of pollutants come off our roads and, you know, that's not talked about a lot, but we need to be reducing the amount of driving, not only to reduce our carbon emissions, but also the amount of heavy metals and other pollutants that are going into our waterways. Of course, this is all working under the assumption that going forward into the future, the economy and the way that the city works and the way that people live their lives is going to try and be as similar to how we do it today as it's humanly possible to be. And that's not necessarily the case. As we've seen with COVID over the last couple of years, catastrophic events can change the way that people live and see the world around them. And there's a massive catastrophic event happening all around the world that we see and hear about every day in climate change, which you've already heard about quite a bit in this episode. Because as I said, this is going to be the biggest factor that goes into play into how the world evolves going forward. I sat down with former Green Party candidate and uh, member of the party and asked Mark Servian, what do they see as the future of the region and of the city? And What are the benefits of where the city actually is in terms of how it builds for the future? My my sense is that Hamilton is in a very, very good spot. In a world of rising sea sea levels, the largest inland city in New Zealand looks really attractive, right? Um, There is no – there are none of the physical limitations that some of our other cities face. We don't have volcanoes. We don't have harbours in the way. We don't have hills. We don't – you know, the – Biggest challenge in Hamilton is that it is to try and not have it sprawl out over some of the best farmland, most food, best food product. So if you ask me, well, for starters, we wouldn't be doing dairy. The Waikato would be the Waikato would be producing lentils and producing much more food and actually feeding the world as opposed to bourgeois people. That would be the basis of our our, our agricultural economy would be would be grain as grain and, and legumes as far as the eye could see, um, and dairy is something you do as a as a as a treat once a, once every six months because it's really fucking expensive i love cheese i really love cheese but you know you may have seen me post the other day climate change is going to require some loss of privilege um you know get used to it folks you're not not it's not everyone else is going to carry the cost um and so yeah there's that aspect hamilton itself i think um I would hope it wouldn't be a lot bigger. I would hope that it would have a much bigger, much more sophisticated transport system. I would hope that, um, I would hope that, um, we have a, a, a really strong co-governance situation with, with Tainui and the local mana whenua hapu in a way that actually enhances everybody's well-being. When Amazon announced they were going to put that data center into Auckland, a whole bunch of people jumped up and said, "Well, hold on, you put what data centers, data centers in Auckland? You put them and put them in Hamilton. Like that's the received wisdom of the IT industry in New Zealand. Is the best place in New Zealand to have a data center is in Hamilton because it's the safest. And that is a microcosm of where our advantage lies in the years ahead. Because I've always thought that the New Zealand economy will benefit from the end of the world." So is it all doom and gloom and end of the world and time for an opportunistic city to step up and take control of that? Probably not, to be fair. We found that humans are fantastic at surviving change. They just don't necessarily enjoy it. But one of the things that can be seen to give us a little bit of hope about the future actually lies within our public arts sector. 
Hamilton City Council recently reinstated a public arts forum, essentially allowing a group of people to decide what public art features were going to go ahead. And public art is a really important factor for how a city looks and feels. I sat down and spoke to Dr. Jeremy Mayle, who's CEO of Creative Waikato, about this. And I asked him about how that process is really important, the process of having outside experts step in and and sign off on public art, how that's really important in creating a sense of identity within a location. A panel that brings together um, mana whenua, brings together wakatafano voices, brings together community voices, and brings together expert voices to inform the kind of selection and process of public art is a good thing. Um, otherwise, it can become a, a, or has the risk of becoming a popularity popularity contest with councillors or, or the, the person that you know or being able to kind of get something through a system that doesn't have that kind of robust understanding. And I think one of the tricky things with public art is that um, because it's public, everyone has an opinion on it. And the – how do you put it? I think the best way to describe it is that there is art for everybody – but not all art is for everybody. But a council-driven forum for public art displays isn't the only way that the creative sector is physically changing the shape of how the city looks. There's two big projects ongoing at the moment that are going to do that. The first one's actually just wrapped up for the year, and that's the Boone Street Art Festival. And the other is the Momentum Trust-run new theatre project down on Victoria Street. Both of these have huge potential to change the city. I spoke to Jeremy about this and about the importance of having something like that that showcases not just your big high-end creative structures like the theatre, but also the sort of grassroots creativity that you get through something like Boone and what that offers to the city, what sort of value it brings to the place. It's huge because it it creates that identity. It creates that sense of that space, that sense of place, that sense of kind of vibrancy. And so having public art in all of its many forms and also like spaces that are designed for that are what makes a city feel grown up. It feels like it's not just a kind of small town. It feels like a vibrant city where things are happening and you can look down alleyways and find kind of unexpected treasures. And I think that's been a big part about Hamilton's kind of growth in recent times, like the most beautiful city award, like there's a big part of that that's to do with the arts that are visible in the city. But we don't have all these kind of big blank walls and that they, they tell different stories. And there's a real joy to just going on a walk and uncovering things that, that you, that you didn't even know existed, that someone popped up over and over a weekend or something. And, um, it's, I think it's also part of the thing that's going to contribute to, um, kind of further interest of people coming to the city. I know, like, historically, Hamilton's had this issue of, of, of being seen as kind of cultureless or not having stuff going on. It doesn't have any arts activity going on. Um, but that's just so not the case. And, that having those really bold, visible kind of showcases of that inspires you to look for all the other things as well because you can kind of see it as you kind of first come in and you can see all this stuff going on. And it's like, oh, what else is going on? 
And so if you've got people who are um, coming to Hamilton for the first time or um, moving their business here or they're, they're coming to be kind of part of the community here, um, there's kind of all of these different pathways into the, the types of activity that happen, whether that's um, the various kind of gallery spaces that are popping up around the city, whether it's the performing arts and, and the way that that's kind of occurring in spaces like Ripley and the Meteor and Clarence Street and what that's going to do when we have the new theatre um, up and thriving, the connection for what that means in the CBD and how that will kind of change the character of what's going on there um, when you've got something that's kind of at front and centre and it's 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 bold and it's um, it's really kind of visionary in terms of the way that it kind of brings communities into spaces. The, the potential for that, for Hamilton being a creative city or being seen as a creative city, because it definitely is that um, if you're kind of in the sector, um, but the kind of outward perception of being a creative city and also the perception for Hamiltonians who may not necessarily find their connection through the creative sector and have been here for a long time and just kind of believe that myth. In fact, the new Waikato Regional Theatre project is one of two big things that are going to shape the way that the CBD itself works, and that's huge in how you identify what the city looks and feels like going forward. For the new theatre itself, you've got a whole bunch of infrastructure that needs to go in to be able to get deliveries in place, be able to have people move into the area to work, be able to have things like cars and public transport options available. It's going to change the way that the CBD works essentially and that's absolutely massive the second part to that is actually high-rise apartment complexes and this is something that's councils have been sort of toing and throwing for a little while and there is a growing number of apartment complexes within the cbd itself more apartments mean more people essentially and apartment living tends to be less reliant on your own private transport which means that you have a lot more people in the area, you have a lot more spend going on things like public transport, so you have to make sure that that infrastructure is all working as well. It's a huge mosaic, and some people have very specific goals for what they're after when it comes to how you go about shaping the CBD. And the really cool part is that it shows that planning for the future doesn't necessarily have to be around where cars go or what your carbon emissions are or how much tree cover there is, whether or not you've got 15 minute cities. It shows that you can have a holistic approach to how a city looks going forward, but also how a city grows in the future. And Kitty Kitty Hamilton's longest serving councillor, Dave McPherson, sums it up really well in what makes sure that Kitty Kitty Hamilton is well placed for whatever it is that the future has to throw at us. It was able to be done in Hamilton because there was fortuitously. Some prepar- lots of preparation done. And realistically, that's what the trick is to being able to handle the future. Plan now for whatever the future has to throw at you. And we do have some good indicators as to what that's going to be. We know climate change is going to come into play, and that affects how you design a city. That affects how you look at the way that people move within a city. We know that COVID has changed the outlook, the way that people move within an area. We know that planning on smaller nodes instead of over a larger scale is going to do better things for everybody. What we don't know is what the impact of that future is going to be. We don't know how much climate change is going to affect 
everything that we do. We don't know whether or not there's going to be an earthquake that sinks Wellington or if there's going to be a tsunami that wipes out Christchurch or an eruption that destroys Auckland. There's a lot of what-ifs when it comes to planning the future. And the best thing that we can do now is prep for as much as we possibly can. And it's really good to see that that groundwork is already there. And it's not just about infrastructure. It's not just about the bare bones. It's about what makes a city a home and what makes a city a city that people want to live in and thrive in and work in. It's an interesting creative sector that people have a connection to. It's about being able to work, being able to live and being able to celebrate exactly who you are, where you are now and what the potential is that you've got going forward into the future. So Hamilton, Kirikiriroa, is going to be an amazing place going forward. Right, that's me for this week. I will catch you guys all in the last episode next week. We were going to talk about how Kirikiriroa feels and what the one big change is that's actually going to do that. For more episodes of Big Things Ahead, visit freefm.org.nz, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Big Things Ahead is a free FM podcast. Tuya Narao o Tahapori. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.